You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Now, what Jerry did not know is that I was going to change my sermon, and what I did not know is that Jerry would select a song that refers to I Depend on You. And I think this is a great sermon title, uh, I Depend on You. And I think that as we look at Daniel and as uh, it was just read, we can see the necessity of a day in which we live when we all need to be reminded that we should depend on the Lord. Because there is not a lack of opportunity. There is not a lack of chances that we can walk out in our regular days to depend on everything else rather than God. Whether it be persons, whether it be policies, whether it be God's provision, where we start to look to financial prosperity, whatever it is that has crept in and causes us the desire to trust in that rather than God, we see the opportunity on a daily basis. Daniel and his people had this opportunity to trust in something other than God. And as we come to Daniel chapter 3, interestingly, can I ask you a question? Where is Daniel? The text doesn't tell us where Daniel is, but here within the confines of chapter 3, we find Daniel somewhere other than in the text. But what we do find is his three friends. Now let me bring you up to context. What's happening in the book of Daniel? Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, and you'll see right away that we are told that in the third year, verse 1, chapter 1, in the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And in this besieging, he captures Daniel and his three friends. Now we look here at verse 7, and we are told that these three men whom we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have original names that, uh, that are not called that. And so here, the commander of the officers, verse 7, set names for them. For Daniel, he said his name is Belshazzar. For Hananiah, Shadrach. For Mishael, Meshach. And for Azariah and Bendigo. So here we know that who these men are. And what's so interesting is that as we continue to walk through Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2, Daniel has found himself in a tough situation alongside of his friends in which they are going to all be murdered. Because none of their seers can interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel says, wait a minute, give us a chance. Let me try to interpret the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar, being okay with that, brings them in. And here we find in chapter 2, verse 27, 
as Nebuchadnezzar wants him to interpret the dream, Daniel answers him this. As for the mystery about which the king is asking, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, or nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. So none of these men, Nebuchadnezzar, that you are asking to interpret this dream will be able to do that. And so when he comes here to verse 28, he says this, However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the last days. This was your dream and the visions of your head while on your bed. So he delivers this vision. It wasn't him, it was God. He makes known that it was God. Many suggest where Daniel is is maybe Daniel vowed. I don't think so. He made a commitment to the Lord. He was unwilling to eat the food of the king, remember? He asked the king, test us. Let us eat our vegetables and drink water and and." Ten days, come back and see if our appearance is better than those eating the fatten of the king's food. And they came back and in ten days, sure enough, they were healthier than those prior. So after he answers, we come to chapter 2, verse 46. And there are really four things I want us to gain from this text. And I'm starting in chapter 2 because I think it's vitally important for us to understand the success that Daniel and his friends have had up to this point. And so as we come first, I want you to understand that the men were promoted. The men were first promoted. Secondly, the, the, the men were tested. And thirdly, the men were devoted. And lastly, I want you to see that they were protected. They were promoted, they were tested, devoted, and protected. Let's begin in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel. Now some would suggest that this is inappropriate, as if he is treating Daniel as if he is God. Daniel doesn't say anything. But nevertheless, and said before them to present to him offerings and fragrance incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is a God of gods, and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of the mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Notice, he doesn't say he is God. He is a God of God. He, you got to understand, Nebuchadnezzar was not a one God man. He, he believed in many gods. And yet what he is establishing from the very beginning is that God is a God of all gods. That's not sufficient enough though, theologically speaking. No, we worship one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for which there is no other God beside Him. So he's wrong in his theology of who God is. See, what you think about God is very important. Nevertheless, the men are promoted. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts. 
And he made him rule with power over the whole province of Babylon, chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel sought of the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Daniel didn't forget his buddies. He had done a great and magnificent work that God had allowed him to do in the life of the king and now that he is promoted, so he brings alongside of those friends of his to promote them as well so that they can continually work together in the work that God has for them. And so as we approach this reality, we need to be reminded that when God does a great work, it's not us doing a work. It's God doing the work through us. And I think we are too tempted many times that when we are promoted to a position of authority, we have been promoted not because of what we've accomplished, but rather what God has accomplished through us. So we need to make sure that in that time for which there are seasons that we don't gain a God complex. Thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but rather, as Romans says, think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Your faith and my faith are not the same faith. God has allotted to you a measure of faith and me a measure of faith. And that is different. Yet we see they keep a proper perspective in being promoted to this administration. They are honored because of what God has done. Do we take credit for what God has done? Let us make sure we don't. So not only do we see that the men were promoted, but secondly, I want you to see they were tested. Uh, This life is full of tests, trials, and tribulations by which uh, come our way and how we handle them and the the way we uh, allow them to affect our life is a big deal. And here these men are tested. And I would say they're tested in a very difficult test because the consequence of their test is physical death. It's not that they might lose a job, as important as that is. It's not that they might lose their financial stability, as important as that is. It's not that they might become ill and for a season, as important as that is. No, this was a life-threatening test. One that we may never experience. He says here, starting in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image. And what we learn is that he's going to build for them an image by which they are called to worship. And he calls all of these people to come in, assemble the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the managers, and all the rulers of a providence to come to the dedication of the image ceremony by which he is going to call the people to bow their knee to the image. Everybody is there. It is a big event. And this is great because when it is most public, when it is most 
appropriate. God will show up and do a mighty work for everybody to see. I'm surprised that we are told several times that these persons are present in the beginning and even in the end. And it's just a reminder for me that when we have opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be obedient to the call of God, to walk in faith, not by sight, we can do that even when everybody's watching. Verse 4, after Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up and they were all standing there before the image, Many of you maybe seen the image of the golden calf and all of the people, the vast amount of people standing before the image and envision for a moment when he says, then they herald loudly calling out to you, it is said, O people, nations and tongues, when you hear the sound of all of these instruments, all kinds of music, you are to fall down. Worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set. And whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the blazing fire. And here before us, everybody bows. Except three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Tested. What a test. I mean, if everybody's doing it, maybe it's okay. That's not what we see here. No, this, these three men understood that they would not bow down. They would not worship. And so they faced the test. You know, James talks about it. Flip over in your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 1. If I can find it. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I'm reminded not only this verse, but the reality that when the trials come, we have an opportunity to honor God. We have an opportunity to be successful in our walk with the Lord. He says here in James chapter 1, verse 2, to consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Too many times in this life, we want to move away from the trials of life. We want, 
We want a good life. We want our best life here on earth with no trials, no temptations, no struggles. When in reality, the Scripture says their trials are coming. And when they come, we ought to consider them joy. Why? Because they will make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And here we don't find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego arguing or complaining about the trial for which they're facing. You don't even hear them saying, this isn't fair. You have ripped us out of our country, have drugged us as, as prisoners to your wicked nation, and you're calling us to bow down and submit to the evil of worshiping another God because based on the Old Testament law in Exodus chapter 20, they were called not to worship another God. So they're facing a real trial. But in the face of this trial, what a great opportunity that they have to honor God. Can I just personalize this for you? And ask you a question. What trials are you facing that you have become bitter in the face of? Listen, I'm guilty of this very thing. I'm guilty of complaining about the trials that come this way. And many times I have a pity party. You may not know it, but my wife knows it because she's my sounding board. Trials will come, my friends. Test will come your way. Ask Abraham. Remember that story in Genesis chapter 22? Now it happened. Verse 1. After these things... That what? God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham! And he said, I'm here. Take now your son, your only son. Let me not just take your son, but let me remind you, not only your son, it's your only son. And remember the Abrahamic promise to make of him a great nation in chapter 15, 17. Take that only son through whom the promise must be fulfilled through. Whom you love, Isaac, go forth into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. So what does Abraham do? He complained. God, that's not even biblical. <laughs> that's what I would have said. That's not fair. No, it says Abraham rose early. He got up first thing to obey God. And he faced his trial. Now God in his faith delivered him by giving a ram in the bush, which is a great picture of Christ and his provision for us. You will face trials, my friends. And how you handle those and how you face those will either honor God or they will dishonor God. And, and here in our text, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a great opportunity to dishonor God. But they stood firm, didn't they? They stood the test. 
I love here in Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We learn David invited God to test him. He did this several times, but this is just one example. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me into everlasting way. Do we invite God to test us? To test our faith? Because if I am correct, the enemy's greatest tool is to convince someone they are saved and born again when they are truly not. And what better way to understand whether you are truly born again, regenerated, and dwelt with the Spirit of God than to go to Almighty God and ask Him to test my heart to make sure that I am not lying to myself and that truly I am indwelt with the Spirit of God born again from above. Because we live in a day when there is this great deception of works-based salvation. All of the cults, all of the false religions hold tight to it. Good deeds equal salvation. Listen, your deeds don't save you, my friend. Titus 3, 4, and 5 remind you, but it was when the kindness of God, our great Savior, saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, according to His grace. God seeing our inability, God knowing our incapability in, to bridge the gap of separation that Isaiah 59.2 says your sins have made a separation between you and your God and your sins has hidden His face from you so that He doesn't even hear. Listen, the reality is this. We all come into this place and this position of eternal separation from God when we are born into this world Psalm 51 5 says I was born into iniquity in my mother's uh, womb I was conceived into sin why because sin entered through one man Adam in the garden of Eden and from that day forward sin has played a major problem for humanity we have pain we have suffering we have greed, we have sickness, and all of those things that have entered into our universe. And we all stand in absolute necessity of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so God sees our inability and He sends His Son as the bridge by which we can access God. It's not your deeds. It's not your loyalty. It's not going to church. It's not reading your Bible. While all of those things are important, the reality is they will never save you. Because they cannot satisfy the just penalty of sin. God is not like a judge in 2021. He is a righteous judge and He will declare guilty, guilty, no matter the party, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much power you have. If you're guilty, you are guilty in the eyes of God because He is a righteous judge. And we need that reminder of who we are and who God is and so why don't we invite Him to test our hearts? 
to make sure that we're truly born again from above. David wasn't afraid to. He invited God to test his faith. We need to be that kind of person. So here we find the test continues. Here in Daniel chapter 3. And listen to what he says in verse 8, because it's interesting. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and brought charges against the Jews. They answered and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of these instruments shall fall in worship at the golden avenge, but whoever does not fall in worship shall be cast into the furnace. And listen to what they say. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration, the providence of Babylon. It's almost as if they're jealous of these foreigners who have been placed into positions of authority. So they want them to pay the penalty of disobedience of the king. And so they call them out. Old Nebuchadnezzar, he is full of rage. He's bipolar, isn't he? He's forgotten what he just did in chapter 2, verse 46 to 49, when he promoted them. And now I'm going to snatch them out because they won't obey me. And he's full of wrath. He's full of wickedness. He's full of rage. There's nothing that ex exemplifies the devil like rage. And so he says in rage, with wrath, he said to these three men who were brought before the king, is it true? Of course it's true. We will choose not to fall down and worship your false god. These idols are not what we've been instructed by our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. No, we're not going to fall down and worship them. I love their comments. If you are ready, fall down and worship when you hear the sounds. And if you do not, here's the warning, here's the test, verse 15. If you do not, and Nebuchadnezzar ain't playing games neither, by the way. He's for real. He's not just making a death threat on their lives. No, he's promising them this will unfold. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And then I love this. And what God is there who can save you out of my hands? Who do you think you are, Nebuchadnezzar? Remember the God that you just praised in chapter 2? You remember that? Do you remember the? Your truly, your God is a God of all gods. 
Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries. But here he has seemed to forgot. And I'm concerned that many times we forget who God is in the midst of troubles. He forgets God because he's angry. He's bitter. I tell you what kind of God can save these men out of Nebuchadnezzar's hands is the kind of God that created Nebuchadnezzar. It's the kind of God that breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He's the kind of God who is able to save. And not only is He the God that can, He's the God that will, and He's going to show us that. So not only were these men promoted, not only were these men tested, these men found themselves to be devoted to this God who could and would deliver them out of this circumstance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, verse 16, We do not need to respond to you with an answer concerning this matter. I love it. We need more people like this in the Christian church standing in the face of evil, fearless. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to serve us, save us from this furnace of blazing fire, and He will save us out of your hand, O King. And let me ask you a question. If God chose to let these men burn in the furnace, would God still be God? Would God still have all power and authority? Because I can hear it now. Oh, this God won't save me. He hasn't delivered me from this. He hasn't delivered them from this. What about the persecuted church? No, God is still a good God in the midst of tragedy, my friends. He is not obligated to do anything that He chooses not to do. He is still all authoritative. He is still sovereign. And these men get it. They don't let that reality to escape their minds. And so what does he say? But if not, if not what? If he decides to let us burn in the fire, let it be known to you, Nebuchadnezzar the king, that we are not going to serve your gods. Oh, man. Whatever it may be, my friends. We do not bow the knee to evil. Whatever the cost. We are not going to serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image that you have set before us. Listen, we are living in a day when many people want you to worship them. We we live in a day when many worlds want you to worship their policies situations when they want you to bow down the knee to their methods and let me remind you we are to not bow our knees to the wicked and we're certainly not called to worship false idols and we have confused what an idol is in our day listen an idol is anything that takes you away from God 
This is the idol of our day, my friends. You can believe it. You can buy it. However you want to handle it. Let me remind you, this does not replace God. This does not replace this. We must be students of this. Put this thing down for a couple of minutes and get in the Word of God. Because the reality is this. Not only this, but the televisions and the media and the news are sucking this world in into a facade that will lead you straight to hell, my friends. They are confusing what is good with what is evil and what is evil with good. And if we stand and we bow to it, we will become like these ones who all bowed around these three faithful men. We, we're not called to bow our knees and to worship these false gods. These men were devoted. They took a stand. I'm reminded of all of, throughout Scripture, we, we can be reminded, can't we, of men who took a stand? Many of them were killed. Many of them weren't delivered through, a, through the fire. No, they went through the fire and they were burned. Just get, get your history books out and, and read the men who wrote the Bible into the English language and look how it turned out for them. How about the disciples? Uh, did, were they all delivered from a, uh, the, the fiery furnace? No! They were crucified. They were beheaded. They were killed for their faith. God doesn't always deliver you from the problem. Sometimes you need to be faithful in the problem and glorify God no matter the circumstance. Now, I don't wish anybody have that problem, and I believe we pray and ask God to remove us from those circumstances, to heal our bodies, right? But the reality is, sometimes in search of the healing, we forget the healer. He's still God. He's still sovereign. He's still able. So not only do we see that these men were promoted, that these men were tested, but they remained devoted to God. We need to become more devoted. Look at Job 13.15. Job 13.15, right before Psalms. When you get there, say amen. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Job. I'd say he faced a little bit of trials and tribulations, wouldn't you? He remained faithful, didn't he? Flip over now to Proverbs uh, 28. Proverbs 28. Verse 1. The wicked flee when there is no one pursuing. Interesting, isn't it? Scared to death. Walking around in fear. But the faithful man, the man of righteousness, has no fear. 
The righteous are secure as a lion. Why is this? We'll flip over to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. We need to be faithful in the face. We need to be devoted in the face of trials and troubles and bad situations because God is faithful even when we are faithless, my friends. But I tell you what, Verse 27 of Matthew chapter 10, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what, what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We need a high view of God today. Because we don't fear God. Thus we let people walk over us. We let people lead us astray. And we just buy anything. a matter of fact, we just change the culture. And forget about God. And now we have what God calls evil happening. Calling it good. And bringing it into the church. And teaching our children that this is okay when God says it's an abomination. We don't get to do that. But why have we done that? Because we fear man. We like being popular. Christianity, I want you to know, in case the guy or person who led you to the Lord failed to tell you, you won't be popular as a Christian. If they hated him, the Bible says they will hate you. It actually says, woe if everybody likes you. Why? Because we don't fear man. We're to fear God and honor God with our lives. That is important. Flick back over to Daniel chapter 3. Job took a risk. We're to be bold. So the reality is, is not only do we see that the men were promoted, the men were tested, the men were devoted. But I also want you to see, starting in verse 19, that the men were protected. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And the image of his face changed. I could almost see like a gnashing of teeth kind of image in my head. Angry. He said, heat the furnace. Like, let me think about how stupid this is. If I can say that from the pulpit. Heat the furnace seven times hotter. Dude, they're going to burn anyways. Like, does it matter how hot? But what is he doing? He can't beat them. So he tries to make them fear. By making that which is going to kill them, kill them quicker. I'm like, yeah, heat that puppy hotter. I won't have to suffer. I mean, if he was smart, he would have said, let's light a fire under their feet. And so he had certain men, mighty in valor, who were his military, tie up these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. 
These men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothing, and were cast in the midst of the blazing fire. They just kept all their clothes on and everything and threw them in the fire. But God's protecting them, isn't He? These men were thrown in. But listen to what it says in verse 22. For this reason, because the king's word was urgent, and the fire who had been heated to an extreme, ex- uh, extraordinary degree, the flame of fire killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If he had just let it burn, maybe his valiant men wouldn't have died. But I think there is a great warning here. That when you go against Almighty God and you obey man rather than God, be careful because you might be the one who gets burned up. These men died. These men were torched, burned alive because of their foolish obedience to man. But these men fell into the fire, blazing fire, seven times hotter than what it was. And I love the terminology, the verbiage used here. Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. And he hurriedly stood. He jumped up. And he answered and said to his high officials, was it not three men? He couldn't believe his eyes that he would even have to ask the question. Of course it was three men. You instructed them to be thrown in. There was three of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The ones whom you got angry with. The ones whom you promised you were going to throw in there. There was three. What are you, blind? But he's astonished, isn't he? They said, yes, certainly, O king. There was only three. When he looked up, he said, I see four men loosed. Walking around, about, in the midst of the fire. Without harm. This could only be by the hand of God. And it could only be because of their faith that He uses them as an example for His glory. I love what he says in the appearance of the fourth man is like a son of God. Remember, he believes in plurality of gods. But interestingly enough, when we study this Hebrew terminology, it's a terminology that's used as a divine being, as deity. The King James Version says, the Son of God. And really what I think we are seeing here in the fire, and maybe he doesn't understand exactly what's happening, but I believe what we see in the fire is the angel of the Lord. It is Jesus Christ Himself. He has appeared to many throughout the Old Testament. And here I believe He's in the furnace with them. 
And His promise that He gives in the New Testament is promise. Why? Because He is who He is always. And He has been again in the beginning with God. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, I think what some of us need is for a personal encouragement this morning. Is that whatever you are facing, whatever trial you are in, you need the reminder that God will walk with you through it if you are simply obedient. And it may be to deliver you out of that and bring you into glory. Do you know the death rate is 100%? Because we seem to have forgotten that in our culture. You will all die. So what better way to die than to be burned up for Christ? And if He chooses to deliver you from your fire, then praise God. But in the midst of the trial, you and I are to consider joy because He is doing something in you and through you. And it, listen, is far beyond our ability to see what it is. But we know that God only works for good. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 The reality is these men were faithful. God walked with them. God was with them in the fire. God is our protector. Flip over to Psalms. Let's take a little journey through here for a minute. Psalm, go to 18. Look at verse 30. As for God, His way is blameless. The word of Yahweh is tried. What does it say? He is a shield to all of those who take refuge in Him. God is your shield. He is your protector. Not your finances. Not your health. Not any of that. Not anything temporal. God is eternal and He is your protector and He will protect you now and He will bring you into His glorious kingdom if you are a child of God. He is your shield if you will take refuge in Him. Look at verse uh, 35 and 36. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Listen, this is what I want. I love my shield of salvation. Because whatever arrow the enemy slings my way, he could never destroy me. He might destroy this body, and he might kill me dead as a doornail. But he who has the Son has the life. That is a present tense terminology. He who has his own has a life. For those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, He is their shield of salvation and He will see that they make it too through the end. Flip over to Psalm 32. Verse 7. I will rejoice 
Nope, sorry. You are my hiding place. You guard me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. God is your protector, my friend. He is your sustainer. He is your life giver. Flip over to 119. Psalm 119. We're going to memorize this verse, this chapter this week. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield, and I will I wait for your word. If God is our shield, if he is our protector, we need to wait for his word. The enemy here, you can flip back over to Daniel. The enemy is following the orders. They cast these three men in. Jesus is walking with them. Then Nebuchadnezzar in verse 26 comes near to the door of the furnace and he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's like probably scared to talk to the fourth guy. <laughs> come out. What if they just said, no, you come in here. <laughs> right? Like, But think about it. Come out. And they came out. If he would have come in, he would have never seen the glory of God. So they come out. They obey this man. They obey him here. Because right? he called them to do something that didn't contradict the very thing God had instructed them not to do. We, we need to be reminded of that. We are to obey the authorities over us when, when it doesn't contradict the Word of God. We are to be a peaceful people living in unity. But here they only obey that which does not. So they come out. You servants of the Most High God. So here, this man Nebuchadnezzar is on like a spiritual roller coaster. He's high. Oh, you delivered my dream. God is good. Oh, you rejected me. Go. You're going to burn in fire. Oh, you deliver now. He's the Most High God. This is a religious roller coaster. This does not make Nebuchadnezzar saved, by the way. Because remember, he, Daniel gets thrown into lions then a little bit later down the road. So just because somebody says that they know God and that God is the Most High God, it's not about a, 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 a proclamation, right? The, the actions must show, and here we see that this isn't the case. But nevertheless, these same witnesses are still here, all of these men. The governors, the high priests, the officials, everybody. And they saw with their own eyes in regard to these men that the fire had no power over the bodies of these men. We worship a mighty God, my friend, who is able to walk with you through your trials, to deliver you if He so chooses. And He is still a good God if He doesn't, because He will bring you home into eternity as his child. 
They weren't burnt. The trousers were not damaged. They didn't even have the smell of fire. That's impossible, by the way. Because I don't know about y'all, but it's wintertime and we burn a little bit of wood at the house and you go out there and you come in the house and you are stinking. Just from a little fire at the house. Here, these men are in the fire. Not consumed by the fire. It's like the burning bush episode in extent. They, they, they are the bush in the fire, yet not being consumed. And they come out and they don't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and saved his servants who put their trust in him. This is a passage about trusting in God. Not trusting in yourself, not trusting in man, or trusting in anyone else, not, not trusting in your provision, not trusting in prosperity, not trusting in your political party, not trusting in anything but God Almighty, my friends. Because He is a God who saves. He is a God who delivers. And we need that reminder. That as we walk out of these doors and we take off our Sunday best and we get in the face of trials and difficulties, that God is a God who is able. They worshipped Him, violating the King's Word to give up their bodies as so not to serve and to worship any God except their own. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, tongue, it says, any offense against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Oh, really? It's one thing to speak. Talk to talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. Because when he throws Daniel in the lion's den, he didn't even implement his own standard on himself. In the moment, it sounds good, doesn't it? Because the effects of Almighty God working in the life and the hearts of His people causes people to react. There's only one reaction you can get out of three men walking through a blazing furnace, seven times heated. They probably did it seven times hotter so that today historians can say, well, it was really not that hot back then. You know, the heat of a furnace was only a certain amount of temperature. And so God put it in... You see what I'm saying? No, it was hot. And he delivered them. Then the king calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to succeed in the providence of Babylon. I don't know who needs this reminder. But flip over to Isaiah 43. Verse 2. Forty-three. But now thus says Yahweh your Creator, O Jacob, that He formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by My name. You are Mine. Can you say you are God's today? Listen, if you can't, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ today because you want Him to be your God. You want to be His child. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. The promise for those who are in Christ is that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a God who will walk through the fire with you. Now you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Well, thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.